glad too we have a Pastor Winter. Let me tell you, love you, Wayne, so much. I want to thank the elders of our beloved community for asking me to share God's Word with you today. As you are well aware of right now, we have so many gifted teachers, preachers here at this church. And it's a privilege to have been given the responsibility today to share with you. Each week you have the opportunity to sit under Pastor Wayne, Pastor Aaron, Dr. John, of course Juan, and uh, so many others that open the Word and teach it to us. I love coming here. I love, I drive a long ways to be here because I love God's Word and God's people. So I thank you, elders, and for doing that. And also, some of the mess today is because of my fault. I asked my son if I could preach down here rather than up there because at my age it's easier to stay down here than it is to go up there. And also, I don't have a problem on the height end. I'm okay on the height. I can see above all of you. And the other problem is, I have the same size shoe as KD, Kevin Durant. And if you want to know what that is, you can look it up online. And if I get up here and trip over one of those cords with my big feet, I will be in your laps. So it's better if I stay down here. It's safer and less of a liability for the church, right? Can I get an amen? (laughs) Well, I want you to know that I've been teaching and preaching God's Word for over 50 years in churches, in classrooms, in seminars, in conferences, literally around the globe. And I've been preach, I've had the privilege of preaching in mud huts deep in the jungles of India where there was no light. I had to preach by a candle, and I couldn't even see the people that I was preaching to because it was so dark in the room. I've had the opportunity to stand before thousands in Kazakhstan and train pastors and leaders to take the Word of God across Central Asia and the Muslim people. I was privileged to pastor in Kuwait to plant a ministry there that now is a global ministry, that people are spreading the gospel around the world to all people groups. I've had all people groups. The opportunity to teach students at 8,000 feet above sea level in Kenya, Africa, and planting churches, the Philippines, Thailand, Korea, throughout the Middle East through Turkey and Jordan and Malaysia and Europe and so many incredible places. But let me tell you something. There's never been a time in all these years that I am not completely humbled by the trust that pastors and leaders will put in me to share the word before the people that they're responsible for. So I say thank you, Wayne. Thank you, Pastor Aaron and the elders for entrusting me today with this awesome responsibility. I want to ask you 
to do me a favor. If you would, I want you to stand with me as we pray, because I am desperate for the Word of God today. I am desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want it to be His Word today and not my Word. I want it to be forever transforming. May it be all of Him and none of me. So pray with me if you would, and then we're going to read Scripture. Father, we thank you for this privilege to gather in this place today and to open your word together. I pray, Lord, that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you will use me today. Let me be your mouthpiece, all of you, Lord, and none of me. You have something to say. Now open our ears, Lord, and let us listen. But let us not only listen, let us be doers of the Word of God. When we leave this place, may we not be the same that we came in. Start with me, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We're expecting. We come with expectation today. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4? And I'm going to read from verse 12 through 17. And I'm going to read in the New Living Translation. Some of you are confused. You can stand up or you can sit down, whatever you want to do. <clears throat> I'm going to read from the New Living. It says this, When Jesus heard that John had been arrested... He left Judah and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through his prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea beyond the Jordan River in Galilee where so many Gentiles lived. The people who sat in darkness have been a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now let's go a few verses down. Beginning in verse 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Then he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or their disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, and from all over Judea and from the east of the Jordan River. Now would you turn to Matthew 28? And I want to read a few verses there, beginning at verse 16 through the end of the chapter. And it says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. May God bless his word. May he use it to transform our lives today. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question today. What is the church? I deeply love the Lord. I hope you know that. I can tell you this much. I wasn't the best father in the world, and I've certainly not been the best grandfather. For most of my grandchildren's growing up, I wasn't even here. I was gone for most of our older grandkids. I thank God for those grandparents in this room that are the grandparents of my son's wives that have been such good grandparents to our grandchildren. But there's one thing I want my grandchildren to know, and my sons, that I love Jesus. If nothing else, I want to be known for that. I'm not the best teacher in the world, that's for sure. You've got them right here. But I want you to know that I love Jesus, and I love his church. I am passionate about the bride of Christ. Don't get me wrong, the church has its problems. Too often we don't look like the bride, and we don't act like the bride. In fact, sometimes I think how hurt Jesus must be when he watches the actions of his church. But I want to tell you, Jesus loves the bride, and he gave himself for this bride. I get so crushed in my spirit when I hear young people saying, I'm deconstructing my faith. Oh, I still believe in God, but I don't like the church. I'm sorry if the church hurt you. But I want to tell you, God still loves the church. And it's still his plan to work in and through his church. Yes. The question is, what is it when we talk about the church? You see, is it an institution to which you belong? Is it an address that we go to each week for a religious event or a ceremony? Is it a place? Is it the structure? Is it this building? Is this the church? Or is it a family? Is it a family in which we were born through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, how you answer this question, listen to me, will ultimately determine how you approach the subject that I've been assigned today. Before I dive into this message, let me take a moment to distinguish between these two thoughts. You see, when we see the church as a family, 
It aligns with Jesus' vision of a loving, interconnected community. It's about deep, personal relationships, not just organizational structures or events. This, per- this perspective will change See, when we every see church as a family. How we preach, interact, how we live out our faith and community. Because you see, in a family, everyone has a role in the family. And love is our motivation. Not duty, not prestige, but love motivates us. This shift from an institutional to a familiar mindset encourages genuine discipleship and spiritual growth over mere numerical increase or viewing people for how much they can give to the church. In contrast to the institutional model, which focuses on numbers, infrastructure, and drawing people into their location. The family model, it treasures spiritual maturity and relationship building. It's about nurturing every member, encouraging active participation, and fostering a supportive, and get me, an inclusive community. Do you know why I like this church so much? Because of all of you. I look around this church, and it reminds me of where I preached for so many years in Kuwait, where we had 50 different nationalities in our congregation. And every hue, every color, every language you can imagine, it was beautiful. I said, someday, this is what heaven's going to be. This. Look. I don't fit in an all-white church out in the suburbs. I'm sorry. I love what I see here. And that's why I'm here. Because God loves this church. The family. We are family. But let me tell you, it doesn't come without its issues. We fight for what we have. We're committed to what we have. While the family brings its own challenges, the outcome is a resilient, loving community that mirrors Jesus' own ministry of intimate discipleship. Understand me, folks, the church as a family is not just important It's foundational to our identity and our mission as believers. It guides us to be more than attendees in a weekly service. It calls us to be active. Active, loving members of a spiritual family. We need you. As we move forward, it is so crucial to embrace this family perspective, focusing on relational depth 
and spiritual growth, mirroring the early church, their warmth and their inclusivity. This approach reshapes our understanding of every aspect of the church. This is why Aaron and Wayne have been so passionate about having us understand the distinction of this very thing. We are a family. You are my brother. You are my sister. With this understanding of the church as a family, let's look at the responsibility quickly that we have as a family to be intentional and particularly intentional in discipleship. Before we go any further, let me define a few terms for you. Intentional. What does it mean? The word intentional refers to doing something purpose rather than by accident or without forethought. Folks, it involves being conscious and deliberate about one's actions and choices and decisions. For the believer, living intentionally means to purposefully pursue the life God has called you to live. Intentionality requires deliberate action on your part. God is intentional. Look, God created this earth that we live on. And he created you. And it wasn't an accident. It didn't happen by chance. I don't care what school you went to and that you were taught evolution. Sad thing is, you miss it. There's a creator that's bigger than an explosion that happened and you didn't just all of a sudden, out of nothing, just start to evolve. You're part of a divine plan. I want to tell you today, folks, that you are not an accident or a mistake. Can I get an amen? You are a part of a divine plan from a sovereign God. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You see, intentionality begins with surrendering our plans and our actions to the Lord. By committing our endeavors to him, we acknowledge his guidance and we seek his wisdom for success. To sum it up in one sentence, and I like this. The key to intentional living is living with the end in mind. And at my age, it's closer than you can imagine. You see, whatever you do, keep your eyes on the end goal. That's eternity with Jesus. What is seen and experienced on this earth, folks, is temporary. I don't know what you're building your life on on this earth, but I'm going to tell you it's temporary. You can work all your life planning, saving, gathering, 
Then you spend the last half of your life trying to take care of it and keep everybody else from stealing it. And then you die. And it's not there anymore. You don't take it with you. There are no U-Hauls behind a hearse. Can I get an amen? See, our hope is rooted in Christ. And that's the source of our strength. Life will throw plenty of distractions at you. And I'm telling you, the devil does everything he can by throwing all sorts of temptations your way. But by God's power, we can overcome anything that tries to hold us back from living intentional lives that we were created to live. Here's the key to intentional living. It's found in Ephesians 5 and verse 10. Listen to it in the message. I like this. It says, figure out what will please Christ. This is real deep. Get it. Figure out what will please Christ, it says, and then do it. Wow. Let's close in prayer. See, that's the roadmap for life. When put into practice each and every day, living intentionally will change your lives. The problem is we have a generation that has no idea of what it means to live intentionally. In essence, intentionality in believers' life is about living each moment with a clear focus on God's kingdom. Ensuring that your faith is not just a part of your life, but it's the core that influences everything that you do. Well, let me give you an example. As believers, we're part of the body, the family of God. And God expects us to live intentionally. And so how do we live intentionally in this family? If I had time to open it up, we could hear all sorts of things. But let me give you a couple ideas intentionally come and engage in worship. What? You know, God has gifted this church with some of the most incredible worship leaders. Thank you, Kyle. And Micah. And Chris. And Joshua. We're blessed. But they're not coming here to put on a concert for you. They come here to worship and to lead us to the throne of grace. God is here. How are we going to respond? We need to be intentional when we walk in these doors. Before we get here, we need to have already planned. We need to serve intentionally with our gifts. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, then you better go talk to the pastor and start praying about it. And then you submit those to the Lord for his use. And, and this body, he's given these things so that you might edify the body, build up, strengthen the family. 
How about intentionality and fostering relationships? Oh, I'm not going to that church anymore. Those people aren't friendly. Are you friendly? How about it? How many people did you go up to and introduce yourself to? Oh, I don't know. I'm not a little scary. He's got tattoos up his neck. <laughs> well, I got him on my arm, so I, 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 you're not going to be friendly to me? Look, thank God. They're part of my family. Oh, I, I don't know. They're a different color. Do you know the most segregated place in our country? Every Sunday morning is the church. We're the black church, the white church, the Hispanic church, the Chinese church, the Filipino church. That's not what heaven's going to be. I'm telling you, when we come to church, we need to be intentional about building our relationships. How about praying intentionally? Committing prayer for the church. Nine o'clock in the morning is prayer. Why don't you think about coming and praying? Generosity and giving. Oh, those churches, all they want is money. Let me tell you, folks, it's not about your money. It doesn't belong to you anyway. You'll stand before the Lord. Don't you love the light show? I asked for that, by the way. <laughs> I've always wanted, you know, a good light show. At least it seems like every church you go to now, you have a light show, smoke machines. Don't you dare just stand up with a candle and preach. But be generous in practicing intentional giving. Be a peacemaker. Be an encourager. All of that should be intentional action on our part. You say, well, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what I can do. Uh, you can love people. Uh, how many of you are willing to stand at the door? We used to have a, a dear old lady that used to sit on our walker out there. Her name was La Wave. Cheers with Jesus. But every day we'd walk through that, every Sunday we'd walk through this door, and La Wave said, come here and give me a hug. I am the church hugger, and you're not walking by without hugging me. Scared me to death at first. <laughs> not really, let me tell you, not really. Because in the, when you work with the Asians, they still blame an old ring. Oh, don't come around me, man. Yeah, you got a kiss here, you got a kiss here. And it's not just a, it's a... So many things we can talk about, but one of the most important responsibilities that has been entrusted to every follower of Christ is that of making disciples. Intentional discipleship. Do you know what discipleship is? It's caring for each other. You need to find it a hundred ways, and I can give you a definition in a minute. That's about.
the older ones caring for the little ones. Caring about each other. Helping them mature and grow and achieve all that God has for them. Isn't that beautiful? See, intentionality in discipleship is about taking responsibility for one another in the family. That was Jesus who took responsibility. What is a disciple? We read in Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This passage of Scripture is known as the Great Commission, but in most churches, it's the Great Omission. Go on. We are so busy forming programs. Program for this and program for this. You don't need a lot of programs when you're discipling people. The Greek word translated go in this verse is actually not a command. Would be better understood as going. The only command in this verse is make disciples. So Jesus is saying this, while you are going, make disciples of all nations. So as we go about our daily routine, this is all I'm saying, as you go about your routine, wherever you go, whatever you do, our goal should always be making Christ known to those around us. So what is a disciple? Well, The dictionary says a disciple is a person who follows the teachings of another whom he accepts as a leader. The biblical definition goes farther than that. In the Greek, the word disciple is mathetes, which embodies the idea of a committed follower who not only learns, but also allows the learning to guide their conduct. A better way to, you know, the disciple was the word that was used most often of the early believers. And being a disciple is more like being an apprentice. You live together. You work together. You, you serve together. You, you do life together. Jesus, I said, was very intentional in this. He took 12 guys Actually, only 11 ended up. But he took 12 guys, and for three years, he poured his life into these 12 guys. And then he said, guess what, guys? Now you carry on with what I've done. He prepared them. We go to a lot of places, and they have the ter- this term, discipleship program. The question that needs to be asked, are we really being intentional as a church in making disciples? That's the question. At this point, you may be asking, okay, I I can see we need to be intentional in discipleship, uh, but what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you, I'm running out of time, and I'm just going to give you four words, because Jesus in this passage also gives you the strategy for making disciples. Listen, this message has been my life's message. It's my passion. 
So I'm sorry I can't tell you everything in 30, 30 minutes, all right? But there's four things Jesus told his disciples, gave them four things. They're found throughout the book of Matthew. Write these four things down or you'll find them in your notes, and then I challenge you to pray. Number one, if you're going to make disciples, you have to engage the loss. What do you mean? If you're never around lost people and you're so good that you can't be around the lost, then you'll never win a lost person. If you want to win people to Jesus, then you're going to have to go where they are. Matthew, we read it earlier. Jesus moved to Capernaum. And he set up in the Galilee region where it was the Gentile area. He broke the Jewish thought. And what did he do? He went where they were, and he lived around them. And he healed their diseases. And he loved them. And he showed them who he was and why he came. And you know what? They came to him from all over. The word shed, spread. Engage the lost. If you are not engaging the lost, you'll never make disciples. As a church, you need to pray. How do we engage the lost? First, you better ask, who are the, where are these lost people? How about your family? How about, how about, how about that? How about the community you live in? How about Phoenix? How about Arizona, the state? How about the world? But you're not called to engage the whole world. Who are you called to engage? The world Jesus placed you in. Where's that world? Your neighborhood. How are you going to do it? That book Josh was talking about, I talk in there about how do we engage the lost? How do we meet them right where they're at? This is our task as a church. Engage the lost. After we engage the lost, then we also have to go to the next one. And it's this right here. We need to establish believers in God's word. Matthew chapter 5 through 8. You want me to read all that to you? No, you don't. That's also called the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Discipleship 101. Want to know what we need to disciple our people in? Intentionally, we need to establish them in the faith. He says in Matthew 28, he gives you your strategy. Win, make disciples. Establish them. Get them baptized. And connect them to the body. This is my brother. You're my family. How do I connect with you if I don't know you? Establish them. Establish them. Look, if you're winning people and not discipling them, it's like having a baby and dropping them off at my house to raise. And I can't do that for you. If you're not going to disciple them, don't witness to them. I'm sorry. But if you're not going to take them to the next step, but you, 
you're going to mess them up. Number three, equip them. Equip them what? Look at chapters 9 through 28, where Jesus took the disciples with him, and you want to know where the classroom was? His world. It wasn't in a synagogue somewhere in the back room. It was the world that he lived in. And he took them with him. He said, come on, guys, learn. Everything I do, I'm going to teach you. And then I want you to go. Go and do the same thing. And I'm going to watch you now. I'm going to watch you. And then you're going to come back. Chapter 10, he brings them back. And he talks about it. And he helps them with some of the problems they were having about casting out demons and some of the things they were a little shaky on. And all the way till he left them, he was training them. And finally, after you equipped them, empowered them. What do you mean? Look, you can be trained all day, but if you're not empowered, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, if you are not empowered, then I'm going to tell you right now, you won't stay here. You'll go where they will empower you. What do you mean by empower you? Release you. One, go one. Yes. We're not here. We don't have a holy huddle. We're not just trying to gather the crowd right here because this is it. Go one. And people go help. Because we need your chair. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Wade? <laughs> Empower. And then let them go. I close with this, and I'm way over time. And Melissa, please forgive me. I'm sorry, honey. Thanks, Josh. Didn't Josh, didn't Josh do an incredible job? Let me end with my story quickly, and then we'll pray. In your notes, if you could copy them, there are some questions. I, I was hoping we'd have time that you could sit and talk together. We call that activation overseas where, we're, where we live. Our people love to talk. So after every message, we have activation, they call it. It's where we try to apply the Word of God to our lives. So I challenge you, go home and wrestle with those questions. Talk it over with your spouse or your friends. When my wife and I initiated our church in the Middle East, we began by guiding a young couple, a Filipino couple, that was deeply committed to serving their local community. Recognizing their dedication and their eagerness to adhere to the Lord's calling, we identified them as an ideal candidate for discipleship and that they would be great leaders in embracing the Great Commission. We post, we, we, 
proposed to them a significant question. Are you prepared to wholly embrace the life of a disciple of Jesus? I said, go home and pray. And when you come back, you tell me. Because otherwise, I don't have time. At that time, I was traveling all over the world, and I didn't have time because discipleship to me is about life. Life on life relationships. Alan and Grace came back, and they agreed. That's what we want. Encouraging a full commitment from them, we invited them to immerse themselves directly in the teachings and the lifestyle that we were going to share with them. We embarked on this journey today together and intertwined our lives deeply, let me tell you. They didn't just learn from us. They actually lived with us. Observing, participating in the ministry and daily life. Our families became one, sharing joys and challenges and the mundane alike we were together. Concurrently, we encouraged them to replicate this model. I ask Alan and Grace, you identify and mentor others in the same intimate and direct manner, exactly what we're going to be doing. They both got 10. Actually, Grace got 11 people. Starting with 22 dedicated individuals, this approach rapidly bore fruit. And in a couple of years, our small group expanded into a thriving church of over a thousand members. This is in Kuwait, in a Muslim country. Each engaged in discipleship and committed to furthering this cycle of spiritual growth. And the remarkable expansion wasn't about numbers. It was a vivid testament to the power of multiplication in building God's kingdom. Today, this principle, this same principle continues to propel our global network across multiple continents. Each community committed to nurturing and expanding the family of faith through the same principle of personal, relational, and intentional discipleship. And it's not because of one person. It's because the family joined together and said, let's take care of each other. Let's love each other. Pastor Josh has been talking about weighing tables. Show up. Why? Take care of each other. Disciple one another. Invite somebody to coffee and just share Jesus with each other. Talk about real life things and struggles and pains and hurts and pray. 
You know why? You don't have to have the answers. You just got to love them and point them to the one who does have answers. I thank you for listening to me today. I honestly do. But please hear the Holy Spirit if he's speaking to you today. Because more than anything, I want to see beloved community be a place of intentionality in all things. And I want to see the beloved community become a Sebastian of discipleship. You can do it. I told our guys and gals, I said, look, if you're one day older than she is, in the Lord, not by age, you've got something to stay. But we also train them and we build them. And Dr. John leads our Bible college to help raise up our pastors and leaders. You have that resource right there with him. Let's go for it. It's a great church because you're here. And you, and you, and you, and you, and each, each one of you help make this place so beautiful. But let's intentionally do our part. Let's stand. Jesus, prick our hearts. If necessary, bring our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, when we've not been intentional in the family. And God, help us. Help us, Lord, to get out of our self, self-indulgent culture. And let's start taking care of what really matters. Speak, Lord. Speak. Oh, Lord. Don't let us leave here with the thought we had when we came in here. We repent, Lord, where we've failed. For those people we've missed because of our own selfishness. Lord Jesus, we need, we need your work. You said you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Build your church, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Before I give this to Josh or Wayne, I just want to say this year, 2024, is going to do everything to try and divide this church, this country. But I'm concerned about this church. What's your political party? What do you believe about this? You got to vote this. I hope you check that out outside the door and fight like hell. to not give in to this division this year. But let's commit to intentionally, intentionally building what God's called us to build. Beautiful.